Welcome to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden, primary care physician and acute care hospitalist at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis, where we cover the latest in health, healthcare, and what matters to you. And now here's your host, Dr. David Hilden. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 10, where we're going to tackle the myriad myths of medicine. Can I go swimming right after I eat? Does chewing gum stay in your stomach for seven years? I'm going to be joined by my producer and guest, John Lucas. We're going to tackle those and many more on this episode. Here we go. All right, let's get to it. So one that we've heard quite a bit is that we only use about like 10% of our brains. Is there any truth to that? I mean, is is the rest pretty much just empty gray matter? So the the short answer is no, we use all of our brains, although we might wonder that sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah. On the highway, is that really what's going on? Exactly. Uh, You know, where did this one come from? A lot of people think it was Albert Einstein who was supposed to have said something like, I'm smarter than all you guys because I use more than the 10% of my brain that you use. And, And others think that it's maybe because of the self-help industry way back in the 30s, the Dale Carnegie's or Carnegie, however you say it, who did the how to win friends and influences people. He was trying to motivate people to their full potential. And, and so things like, well, you're not using all your brain. If you did this, that, and the other thing, you could use your whole potential. And although there's truth to that we all have more potential than maybe we do. It is not true that we're only using 10% of our brains. Why is it the case that somebody with just a mild concussion, mild brain loss, it might lead to 5% damage to your brain, causes such huge problems? Did you ever see any of these movies, John? Because I have not. I want to see if anybody else has. Did you ever see the movie Lucy with Scarlett Johansson? You know, I haven't. I I know of the movie. I have not seen it. It's supposed to It's like a sci-fi thriller. Well, apparently, Lucy was this character played by Scarlett Johansson who injected some chemical or got some chemical into her blood for the purpose of, I think it was an accident, but it suddenly it mobilized the 90% unused part of her brain and she instantly learned Chinese. She was able to uh, have superpowers and I guess the whole movie movies based on that. And then there was another one with Bradley Cooper, also which I haven't seen, but that one was called Limitless in 2011. And I like Bradley Cooper. I actually like Scarlett Johansson. These are good actors, but I haven't seen them. Of course. But yeah, that that ability to be able to like dunk all of a sudden because you take the serum. I don't know. Exactly. It is sort of like a a, a sci-fi thriller thing, but it, it's the same premise. But it's not true. The medical science does say that in you know in MRIs and PET scans, you're using all of your brain all the time, even when you're sleeping. And here's a, here's an interesting thing: if someone loses a limb, the portion of the brain that was formerly controlling that limb gets repurposed to something else. Hmm. So your brain is so much in use that it even repurposes portions of the brain for another use when it's no longer needed for the previous use. So our brains are amazing things. And indeed, regardless of how dumb you think your spouse is or your best buddy, <laughs> I don't think they can blame that they're not using all of they're their brain. They're still firing on all cylinders. I okay. think they're still, maybe they're just not the, <laughs> the brightest bulb, but it's not because they they need to use more of their brain. Gotcha. That's a myth. All right. Well, that, that fascinating. Fascinating. Because I'm sure we've all heard that one before. Let's go to another one that we've all heard before too. Okay. So again, you touched on it a little bit right in the intro. So the half an hour rule after eating before you can swim, right? It's like, that was like some magical, you know, arbitrary thing that somebody threw out there and they everybody said, hey, that sounds, that sounds wise. Any wisdom to it? That's a myth too. You can, here, here's the good news. You can eat something and jump in the pool 
right away. You don't have to wait. Now, don't get drunk and jump in the pool or don't, you know, uh, do stupid things, but it, it is a myth. Okay. All right. Do you, were you told that growing up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think every kid was, you know, I mean, there were, again, it was like a half an hour or 45 minutes. I think it was whatever mom was doing at the time uh, and wanted to finish before she had to keep an eye on you. It was like, you can't go in the pool until you yeah, I wonder if that was it. I wonder if this is a parenting hack. I mean, if, if, if it was a parenting tip, nope, can't go in the pool because I can't watch yeah, you, whatever. Yeah. I think it started, I don't know if this is true, but I was a boy scout. Yeah, proud, hours, proud yeah. Eagle Scout. Back in the Boy Scout handbook of like 1908 or 1912 or something, it said, do not go swimming for an hour. If you do, you could drown and it'll all be your fault. You know, the Boy Scouts were kind of into shaming. It'll all yeah, be your fault. Can't do that. But the, the theory, I think... I think it, it arose from when you eat something, blood goes to your intestines. It goes to your stomach to digest. Yep. And I think the theory was that, okay, all the blood went to your stomach. So therefore, there's not enough blood left over for your muscles and you're going to get tired and you're going to drown because yeah. you're, you're flailing out there with weak muscles. Right. When the reality is... Yeah, uh, uh, some blood does go to your stomach to digest food. It's not like this massive transfer of all your blood supply to your stomach and there's nothing left for your muscles. It isn't that much. That doesn't happen. Okay. It's I okay mean, to go swimming. Okay, technically, I mean, yeah, you could drown on an empty stomach too, right? Totally. <laughs> you could get tired on an empty stomach. So if uh, I don't know if there's a lot of kids listening there, but if there's a lot of parents listening there, uh, uh, I don't think you can use this one. All right, okay, cool. We're getting wise here. All right, excellent. And uh, moving on, we got, uh, okay, the... Eight glasses of water a day thing, right? I mean, it's like, it's probably not a bad idea. I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of benefit to it. Um, should, you know, I mean, maybe it's not a myth entirely, but where, uh, where's, the, uh, where's the wisdom there? Right. It is a good idea to stay well hydrated. So let me start out with that. It's a good idea to stay well hydrated. But I think we sometimes take it a little bit too far. There is no scientific evidence that you have to drink eight glasses of eight ounces a day. That eight by eight equals 64 ounces a day of water. That's a complete myth. Now that doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that you have to stay well hydrated, but, but the, the, your body is really capable of monitoring its own fluid intake. And you get fluid from a lot of things. 20% of the fluid comes from the food you eat. And other, other liquids have loads of fluid. Milk does, juice does. Believe it or not, so does coffee and beer. Those all contribute to your water intake for the day. I like day. that answer. Yeah, yeah so, okay. so I do too because I would say, well, people will tell me, well, caffeine, that's going to make you urinate more. That's actually a negative water intake. That is not borne out by the facts. Okay. What you need to do with your fluid intake is drink when you're thirsty. Your body does have a built-in, almost foolproof mechanism for keeping your in the right fluid balance, and that is called thirst. It's there for a reason. Water is a good option. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. It's better to drink water than a, a sugared pop or an extra beer or mm -hmm. even coffee. Water is probably the best thing to drink. And, and when you're thirsty, drink till you're not thirsty anymore. Okay. That is what we generally tell people. There's, there's benefits to staying well hydrated. You probably lose weight. If you drink water before eating, you hmm. probably have a little bit of appetite suppressant. So it's probably a good idea to fill your stomach with some water. It's probably better for physical performance. So if you're hmm. a runner or an athlete, of course, you need to be well hydrated. There's some evidence that uh, being well hydrated adds 2 to 4% to your physical performance. And so there's all those things. It reduces constipation. It reduces headaches. It reduces kidney stones. It's a good idea to stay well hydrated. That part is true. There's a resident physician who works with me. His name is Seth. I won't, I won't embarrass him more by saying 
and all of his name. But he walks around with one of those Yeti things, you know, those Yeti pods. Yes. But yes. his is like He's the size of, of Iowa. It's this huge <laughs> chunk. <laughs> and I'm thinking, dude, that's a little bit over the top, isn't it? I can barely, it's going to be a long day. I can't uh, even <laughs> lift that thing. It's so heavy. And you're ga- carrying around a gallon of water. And well, the guy's well hydrated. Kind of I'll, impressive. I'll, t- yeah, I'll tell um, you that. Here's a, here's a fun fact I, I heard from somebody. I don't know where I heard it. Watermelon is 91% water. Eggs are 76% water. So you get water through all these other things. The point being, foods and your regular diet are adequate. Use your thirst as your guide, and I think you'll be okay. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, cool. And uh, let's try another one here. Um, So hair and fingernails continue to grow after death. Is that true? Is this a myth? Okay, so I've heard this, but I never believed that one. In fact, that one I think is kind of an older one, but I have heard that. The people think... Okay, you die. Your fingernails keep growing. I mean, I've seen Thriller. You know, they all had long hair. And, they you know, did. They were, they were, you know, wild and a bunch of hippies. Exactly. But. Right. Their hair's out of control and their fingernails are long. And I, I had to look, out, look into this one a little bit. Way back in the novel from like the 20s or the early 30s, All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. There's a novel about yep. World War I. Yep, they made a movie. One of the, yeah, they made a movie of it. One of the soldiers in that is thinking about his fellow soldiers dying. And I, I wrote it down. He, he wrote, one of the lines from the book says, the soldier's rem- thinking about his, uh, his deceased comrade. And he says, it occurs to me that those fingernails will go on getting longer, long after Kemmerich has stopped breathing. I can see them before my eyes twisting like corkscrews. Okay, so this has been around a long time, mm-hmm. and that exactly does not happen. Okay, um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> now, I, I think it is good fodder for horror movies and sci-fi thrillers great and war fiction, movies yeah, and but, uh, great uh-huh. fiction, but it does not occur. So what doesn't happen is that you put uh, your loved one in a casket, and they're six feet underground, and you're wondering if, if those fingernails and hair are still growing. Most Definitely, they're not. What does happen is that immediately after death, you know, it's a little gruesome, but we can talk about it. Um, your skin and your body, the fluids dry up and mm-hmm. they, your skin kind of shrinks a little bit. It, it shrivels up a little bit. And so the skin around your fingernails might retract a little bit. The skin around your hair follicles might retract. So it might look like you're a little shaggier or your fingernails are a little longer. It's an illusion. They're not. Your skin is alive. Your fingernails and your hair are made of protein and keratin, they do not continue to grow after after you've died. It makes for good Hollywood. It makes for good Hollywood. Sort of like the the 10% of your brain one. Totally. Okay, and this is is one that we've all thought about at least at one point. Does shaving hair cause it to grow back faster, darker, or coarser? Everybody's thought about this at one point. I I think I maybe believe this one. I did. It's not true. We'll talk about it a little bit, but I think even I believed this one just a little bit. But it's not true. When a man or a woman shaves, and, and they've studied this, they actually had people shave one leg and not the other. And, and you know, I, I hope the you know they probably didn't wear bare shorts or skirts or anything. They're probably wearing pants, but they anything did it for a long for science, time, right? Exactly. And they they did it come back faster or darker or coarser, and none of that happens. Okay. Your hair follicles don't increase in number simply by shaving them. And so you, if you don't increase the number of hair follicles, you don't increase the number of hair. So you don't get thicker hair. You don't get faster growing hair. When you shave, you're cutting off the dead part of the hair. It's a protein. The live part of your hair follicle is underneath the skin and that doesn't get touched. So it doesn't grow any faster. Okay. Does it grow darker? There's, do you think it does? 
What you do know, you think, John? Do you think I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess I never would have shaved, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, it would have just been an easy way out. Yeah, that, this one actually seems to be a little bit true, but your hair indeed does not get lighter or darker when, when you shave. What happens is that your hair might be, including your beard or your leg hair, might be slightly bleached by the sun. Hmm. It might be a little bit lighter so that when you cut it off at the base, the new ones coming in are your natural color and it might look a teeny darker than the beard you just shaved off. But the beard you just shaved off has been exposed to the sun for a day or two or three. So fallout and everything else is probably just uh, just giving us a nice little tint. Exactly. It doesn't come back coarser. That's the other thing. People, what about stubble? Every guy who shaved knows that in a lot of women who love them, uh, uh, like a little stubble. Well, what happens is that your hairs are naturally tapered. They taper off to the end. When you shave, you cut it off at the root. And so your hair, that little stubble, is a thicker little stump that that has a blunt end, microscopically, but a blunt end. And it's not like the natural pointed hair that you normally would have. So it comes across coarse and stubbly, and that might be something you're actually after. But if it grows out long enough... It's all going to end up looking Yeah, if you look like Santa Claus, it's going to look the same. Gotcha. Okay, all right. Definitely a myth. And we're going to get to more of those right after the break. You're listening to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden. Have a question for the doctor? Become a part of our show by reaching out to us at healthymatters at hcmed.org. Or give us a call at 612-873-TALK. And now let's get back to more healthy conversation. And we're back looking at the myriad myths of medicine. And let's take on another one, John. Okay, how about this one? Eating turkey makes people especially drowsy. Tryptophan, turkey, we've all heard about the connection. What's the truth? I think I fall asleep every single year at Thanksgiving dinner. Every single time. If I'm lucky. Uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't care what's going on. Maybe it's my excuse to get out of doing the dishes. I don't know. And I think that happens to a lot of people. So everybody thinks it's the turkey. And indeed, L-tryptophan is a substance in turkey. And L-tryptophan is known to promote good sleep. And frankly, it's also known to promote a good mood because it works through serotonin. Hmm. So you people feel better. They feel drowsy. They go to sleep when you take L-tryptophan. In fact, it's even in a pill form for that very purpose. But here's the rub about turkey. Yes, it has L-tryptophan in it. So does a pork chop. So does soybeans. So hmm. does cheese. Nuts. They all have L-tryptophan, except no one's blaming soybeans for their sleepiness. Right, right. They're blaming the turkey. So it's probably not the L-tryptophan in the turkey. What it probably is when you're eating all that turkey is that you also ate a pound of mashed potatoes. Yeah, and and you had a half a bottle of wine. And you had a half a (laughs) – bingo, John. You had half a bottle of wine. Exactly. (laughs) And so it's all that. You've had all these carbs. You've had way too many calories. You've had a little bit of wine. You're socializing. And that's when most people say they get the turkey thing. Now, if you right. went out and had a turkey sandwich at your local deli, I doubt you're right. going you're gonna to get into that big problem with, uh, with sleepiness. And you got a day off. So, I mean, I'm exactly, sure that's like, you know, exactly. The brain so, is wired yeah, for that too. Yeah, exactly. And, and L-tryptophan, apparently, I don't take it. I don't take hardly any supplements, but uh, – well, any. I don't take any. But an L-tryptophan supplement for those who use it for sleep aid works best on an empty stomach. So clearly, it has nothing to do with the food portion of the turkey. It's uh, a lot more about absorption and some other factors. So go ahead, blame your turkey if you want, but then you also have to blame your soybeans, your cheese, your nuts, your eggs. That's a slippery slope. It is. All right, okay. Turkey's innocent. Okay, we're running with that. Um, Okay, how about this one? Um, Reading in dim light, ruins your eyesight. And this one 
seems to make some sense because it, I think it came actually out of a sort of a unfair characterization of nerdy kids, which I take personally because I know it's hard to believe, John, but I was a bit of a nerd. <laughs> I don't buy it. You don't believe it? I know. I wasn't. All... <laughs> Engineer and then a doctor, yeah, but exactly. never a nerd. I, and I, a Boy Scout, too. Come I, on. I was uh, a Boy Scout. It's hard to believe. I, I know. I don't have any of the risk factors for nerdiness. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm like the poster child for being a nerd. But you think of what do you think about in that very stereotypical thing about nerds? The kid with the glasses on that are like Coke bottles, looking six inches away from a book and squinting to read. And so the thought is all that reading's making his or her eyes bad. And that's not the case. Your eyes do not get affected by what you're doing with reading. Your long-term vision is not made worse by squinting, even even at a computer screen. You, what you can get is eye strain. Okay. Your muscles, uh, you can get more headaches. You can get your your eyes are run by muscles. Mm-hmm. There's little bitty muscles that that move your eyeballs, and you can th- those you can get strain when you're squinting, and so you can get a headache, and and you might not feel good, but it's temporary. It goes okay. away. It is not permanent. You are not damaging your the 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 bits of your eye, the the important parts of your eye. By squinting, there's other reasons why it's not good to be inside squinting. Right. At, but but reading in the dark is not a, little a problem. Bit of a stretch. Huh? It is. Uh, you can go for it. So keep reading. Basically, keep we can't reading. Bl- we can't blame reading. Exactly. For this. Okay. Exactly. Now, yet again, we should all be reading more. Yep. Next you should read read more. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, mobile phones. Everybody loves to hate them. Uh, mobile phones create considerable electromagnetic interference in hospitals. True or false? That is false. This is an interesting one because it affected my life. And if you were a patient in the hospital in the last 20 years, you maybe were asked to turn off your cell phone. You are still asked to on an airplane. Now, I'm not an expert on does it do anything with the navigation systems of airplanes. I think it might just be to keep the peace. I I wonder because here's the thing about cell phones. We used to tell people to turn them off around medical devices. And what's a hospital except a place full of medical devices, including your own pacemaker? So, like, if you have a pacemaker – Theoretically, your cell phone, which gives off electromagnetic radiation, could mess around with the circuitry of your pacemaker. Similarly, with the cardiac monitors or your infusion pumps in the hospital. So for decades, well, and since cell phones were invented for a couple of decades, until about 10 years ago, we told people, turn your cell phones off in hospitals because you're going to it's going to accidentally give somebody the wrong dose of something because your cell phone's going to have messed around with the circuitry. And it turns out none of that's true. Okay. Um, It is true that cell phones give off a little electromagnetic radiation, so the data aren't clear about what does that mean if Mm -hmm. you carry it in your pocket, for instance, for 30 years. Does that lead to ovarian cancer, testicular cancer? Motorola razor, cell phone shaped tumor in your brain. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) That's exactly it. And and, uh, is it really bad for you to have it next to your heart? Probably not, but we don't know all of that stuff. It is not problematic for most medical equipment. We do tell people who have a pacemaker which is usually implanted in your chest wall up by your mm-hmm. your collarbone, usually on the left. Maybe use the other ear when you're talking on your cell phone. And don't store your cell phone in your pocket right above your pacemaker. Okay. Because within a few feet of your cell phone, there's something. And it could mess with the circuitry and uh, uh, the magnetics of their pacemaker. So maybe in that case. But the biggest problem about cell phones in hospitals and around medical equipment is they carry germs. Yeah. Not that they're Disgusting. messing with the circuitry, but they're like cesspools of germs. That's your problem. Okay, let's take on a couple more um, while we got time here. So is the five-second rule a thing? And believe me, it's been baked into my childhood. So, uh, <laughs> 
Can you drop something on the floor and as long as it's been there less than five seconds, eat it? You know, this one isn't so cut and dry. Okay. The short answer is no, it's not a thing. And food can pick up bacteria instantly in less okay. than a second on the floor. So if you're a concerned person, a little bit of a germaphobe, the answer is no. There, you can't eat stuff that's been on the floor for any length of time. However, in reality, a normal adult uh, who uh, can probably get away with it, with a normal immune system, if you drop your pretzel on the carpet, you can eat that pretzel. I do. Okay. I yeah. do. Uh, you know, I think that's guilty. perfectly. Yeah. But, but, but people with compromised immune systems, older adults, children, you should be careful with your children. Their immune systems aren't all they're cracked up to be. And use the kind of common sense. If you drop a wet, mushy thing on a tile floor, mm-hmm. think a piece of watermelon. No, it's not. That's not a good idea. The wetter it is and the harder the surface. So if you drop food on a carpet yep. and it's dry food, you're probably okay. Right. The transfer of bacteria from that carpet to the food is relatively little. If it's a, like, I dropped a pretzel on a carpet. But something wet on a tile floor, a stainless steel floor, a wooden floor, I think you should uh, maybe not eat that. All right. Okay. Grab another slice. Move on. Grab another slice. Yep. Sweet. Okay. Um, Now, this one's kind of curious with summer right around the corner. A base tan prevents sunburn. Right. That is not true. That's a myth. And uh, it makes some sense because you think if you get a little base tan, what you're doing is you're giving yourself a little bit of UV protection, and indeed you are. Like a little microexposure. Exactly, a little microexposure. It probably is equivalent to putting on an SPF 1 or 2 uh, sunscreen. Gotcha. But okay. one or two sunscreen is not going to bail you out. Worthless. That's completely worthless. You should be using fifteen or more, preferably thirty or more sunscreen, and you should avoid getting tanning altogether. Now, no one wants to hear that. Nope. I know. No one wants to hear. I have to stay pasty white. I want to get a tan. You're far better off simply wearing sunscreen and avoiding that altogether. If you're a young adult, you're a teenager on spring break and you're getting tan, you have immediately increased your risk for future leathering of your skin. Yeah, put the baby oil down. Then, exactly. Huh? Right. Put the baby oil down. Get the 30 sunscreen. And if you want the tan, use a spray tan. I, I know that's yeah. I've never done this once in my life. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I know. Every, okay. every single person, especially someone who's heading for spring break, is Only like, orange, please. Yeah, right. I'm doing that. <laughs> spray tans are healthier. <laughs> Fantastic. You heard it here. Yep. Okay. Um, Can a toothbrush make you sick? That's another one that you kind of think, like it's got bacteria. You know, I mean, it's like it lives in the bathroom. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, it actually can. It can. It's real. Yeah, but that's a, it's a little bit of a, um, I wouldn't worry about it too much, but think about it. You're, here's a, here's an actual fact. Um, somebody studied how many bacteria are on your average toothbrush. It's like 1.2 million bacteria per toothbrush. Oh my God, disgusting. (laughs) But here's the problem. Here's the thing. Yes, your toothbrush is literally a cesspool of bacteria. You know what's a worse cesspool? Your mouth. Right. So, so you're putting a bacteria-laden thing into your bacteria-laden mouth. It's not that big a deal. Uh, But if you're immunocompromised or if you're taking really higher-risk toothbrushes, like sharing toothbrushes, not a good idea because that bacteria is different than yours. Don't put your toothbrush next to the toilet. This is a gruesome thing. This is a gruesome thing. But I'm not worried about you dropping it in the toilet. What I'm worried about is that every time... We flush the toilet. We put into the air right. bacteria. That would make sense. You're okay. supposed to. You're supposed to close the lid on the toilet when you flush it. I don't. I don't know if anybody does that. Uh, well, good practice. Okay, most men don't there. even don't <laughs> even put the seat down, yeah, much less say. the lid. Well, this is a pretty big ask here, man. It is a pretty All big right. ask. But so don't store your toothbrush next to the toilet. 
let it dry before using it. Bacteria will generally die then. Okay. If you really, really, really want to be careful, use two toothbrushes and alternate mm-hmm. them every other day. So the one you're using is always dry. But I, this is not one I tell people to worry too much about, but okay. it's, it's possible. Not a huge call for alarm, but, right, uh, but, right. but, but you know, nonetheless, some validity to that myth, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, all right. Let's see. I think we got two more here, but let's jump on to a big one because people talk about this. I mean, there are schools of thought on this, and I don't know if it's, you know, I mean, it's probably worth addressing. So vaccines and autism, it's, it's a thing. You know, I mean, like, love it or not, it's like it's something that people either, it's you huge. know, there, there, there's some, some pretty uh, strong opinions about this one. What is the, what's, what's the truth? What's the knowledge that we have? Yeah, it is, John. This one's a huge one. And it's the one that I, I'm dead serious about this one. There's not much uh, lightheartedness in the vaccine story. So full stop, the vaccines for measles do not cause autism or any other vaccines. The one that everyone's worried about is the MMR, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine that we give to children. And there is no evidence whatsoever, none, full stop, that it causes autism. But it's, it's a, it is one of the most dangerous things. I would call this maybe the most dangerous myth of all in healthcare. There was a guy, and I'm going to come right out and say his name. His name was Andrew Wakefield. He was a, a researcher in Great Britain back in the 90s. And he published a study of 12 children. There were 12 kids, eight of whom got autism. And he made this connection to the fact that they had gotten the MMR vaccine and therefore said that it's dangerous. Eight kids out of 12. And that got published in Lancet, which is one of the world's preeminent respected journals. If I got published in Lancet, I'd be dancing a happy dance. It's a Mm -hmm. huge journal. And they published this thing and later found out it was entirely a fraud. There's, it was a fraudulent study. The guy, Dr. Wakefield, mm-hmm. was was cited for ethical misconduct. He was being wow. paid by attorneys for uh, families who had a stake in the game. It was only 12 kids. He did not make the connection on a scientifically based manner. And uh, the whole thing was basically a fraud. And then he did another study later. These two studies have done more to harm the human race or human beings than almost anything because um, they had legs. It was a minor little thing, but it was in a huge journal. And the population of Great Britain and then the rest of the world started vaccinating their children less because they're they're rightfully worried about autism. They should be. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Kids are getting the MMR vaccine at the same time they're getting autism. That's just what happens. And by you, it is expected that some children will get autism. Mm-hmm. It is, um, and it is expected that some kids will happenstance get autism at the same time they got their MMR vaccines. It doesn't mean they were related. And there have been more than a, 10 studies since then that have disproven it. They've found no evidence that there's any connection between vaccines and autism. Your kids are far more at risk from a measles outbreak than they are from any vaccine. So gotcha. I would encourage people to get all your childhood vaccines, uh, and um, that this one is a myth 100%. Cool, yeah, because we have a tendency to kind of believe that first thing we hear and then just run with it and never circle back to retest it or, or to go back and figure out if anybody's changed their mind since then. And the interesting thing <clears> about <throat> science, people say, well, it was published in a scientific journal. It was a, science isn't truth. Science is the seeking of truth. Uh, sometimes the current state of the affairs is not correct. And that little brief study they did was trying to seek the truth, but it was fraudulent. It was unethical hmm. and fraudulent. And 10 of the authors withdrew their name from okay. it. 
The journal that published it later retracted it. Retracting a journal article means it never happened. It is not part of the scientific literature. You can't say, well, it was it was accepted at one point. No, when it's retracted, it's it means it's gone. It was never uh, a legitimate thing. So excellent. That's a myth. Well, thanks for clarifying clarifying yep. that one. That one's definitely a, that's a big one. A hot topic. Yep. Okay, uh, I think we got time for one more, and um, this one it's been around since I was a kid. Does chewing gum stay in your stomach for seven years? That one kind of freaks me out to even think about it. The answer to that's a it's big, creepy. It's no, <laughs> it's, like, it's no. If that's the case, everyone like most of planet Earth would yeah. have a few of them in there. So no, chewing gum is not digestible. That's true, but neither is a quarter, and a quarter doesn't stay in your. Right. If, you're, if you swallowed a quarter, it comes out the bottom end eventually. And so, chewing gum is basically rubber. Uh, mm-hmm. The initial chewing gum was made out of something called, I think it was chickle or chickley, okay. which is, I, I bet you, the origin of the, the chewing gum chiclets. Yep. That basically natural rubber. And no, that didn't get digested. Modern chewing gums are synthetic, um, so they can put flavors and all that in it, but it's also not digestible. So if you swallow a piece of chewing gum, it's going to move through your intestines just like everything else. Um, the only caveat to the whole thing about the chewing gum is that if you do have a child— Mm-hmm. who has got a habit for whatever reason of swallowing a lot of it. You could block things up simply from a mechanical, it's just like yeah, a plumbing problem. It'll it'll block it. So don't let your ch- child swallow lots of gum. But if, if they swallow one piece, or if you as an adult do, don't worry about it. That would be kind of a freaky thing, but indeed it is a myth. The gum doesn't stay in your gut for seven years, regardless of what your mother told you. And she told me a lot. So, uh, <laughs> And there's no shortage of these myths, and I'm hoping that we're going to be able to do another show like this. Great and- chatting with you, John. You know, there's a lot of medical myths out there. I hope this was helpful for a few people. And I hope to do a lot more of these. This will be a show that maybe we could do more of in the future and talk about some of the myriad myths in medicine. If you who are listening today have a question about something, is this true? Is it not? Uh, is it a myth? Send it in to us. Drop us a line, and hopefully we'll get to it on a future episode. I appreciate everybody listening. I hope you learned something today, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode of the podcast. And in the meantime, be healthy and be well. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden. For more information on Healthy Matters or to browse the archive, visit our website at healthymatters.org. And if you have a question or comment for the doctor, email us at healthymatters at hcmed.org or give us a call at 612-873-TALK. The Healthy Matters Podcast is made possible by Hennepin Healthcare in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Please remember, we can only give general medical advice during this program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have more serious or pressing health concerns. Until next time, be healthy and be well.